Hey, all you true crimey people out there. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kayla's mom, Alicia. And you are listening to True Crime Exposed. Welcome to our show, everyone. Today, we have a very special episode for you. You'll still be hearing from my mom, like usual, as she is our co-host. Hey, mom. But you will also be hearing another voice, and that is the voice of Casey. Casey is the sister of Jennifer Wicks and the aunt of Adriana Wicks, the two people who unfortunately go missing in today's story. Casey is putting in the legwork regardless of having a full-time job and having her own children to care for. She wants to get her sister and her niece's story out there. It's a story that I never heard before. Casey recently created a TikTok account to help spread this story. There's only two videos up now and much more to come. In one of these videos, Casey shares photos of her sister and her niece. And she attaches that song by Taylor Swift, Nobody, No Crime. And the words say, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. And while we do want to keep an open mind about all of the possibilities in this case, that song sadly fits this story. Now, we never know, right? Because this is a missing persons case. So I want you guys to listen today and take in all the information and come to a conclusion about what you think may have happened to them yourselves. Let's dive into it. Are you ready for today's case? Okay, guys, let's start today's episode off by talking about where Jennifer and Adriana Wicks came from, their lives before their disappearance and who they were. Jennifer Wicks was born on August 16, 1982, to Kathy Casey, known now as Kathy Nell, and Michael Wicks. She is the only child to come from both of her parents as her parents split while she was still very young. But her parents would go on to give her five half-sisters, which is just a phrase to explain sharing one parent. Being a half-sibling is still just a sibling. A sister is a sister regardless. I have two half-sisters, one from each parent, and they're no different in your heart than what you would call a full sibling. Now, Jennifer's mom, Kathy, would go on to have two younger daughters. After Jennifer came Heather and then Casey. Casey is the sister that is now heavily advocating for Jennifer and Adriana's case and is taking on a big role trying to share their story. Throughout this episode, you will get to hear from her. Jennifer lived with her mom growing up, but was always able to maintain a good relationship with her dad, Michael, who would go on to give her three younger sisters on his side. And Kathy did her best as a single mom, raising her three girls, and she gave them everything she could. Kathy raised her girls in Springfield, Tennessee, 
And Jennifer's aunt, who is Kathy's sister, also lived here as well as Jennifer's grandparents on her dad's side. So she was surrounded by family. And her dad lived less than a couple hours away in Manchester, Tennessee. In high school, Jennifer kept her friend circle tight-knit. She wasn't in the quote-unquote popular crowd, but she thrived with those that she kept close to her. And honestly, being in the popular crowd should never be the goal. And I hope to teach that to my kids that it's not that important. It's more important to have a small group of good friends and loyal friends and is much more rewarding than having that large group of people that maybe aren't your true friends. And I definitely learned that as I got older. So I think it's incredible that Jennifer was able to keep to herself and just do what made her happy. It was when Jennifer was 19 years old that her life would change forever. She found out she was pregnant. She was going to be a young mother. This was a shock to her system when she found out, and I'm sure she was scared, nervous about how this would change her life and what was to come. Telling your parents that you're pregnant in your teen years would never be easy, but Jennifer lucked out because her family supported her. They were obviously shocked as well, but this was reality. This baby deserved the world, and they were going to give her the best life they could which you were a young mom, and so was I even, kind of, because I was married at 19 and pregnant at 20, but you were pregnant with me at 17 in high school, had me right out of high school, and do you feel like your family kind of stepped up? I feel like they did, but I wasn't there. Yep, they did. Uh, I lived with my mom and my stepdad, and they were great. They helped me that first year a lot um, until I got married. And I feel like that is super helpful when a family steps up because then you were able to still like go to college, grow in your career and all that. Yeah, I couldn't have done it without him. But it also just getting pregnant did change my life as well. I mean, I wanted to be a better person and a good mom. Yeah, like helped you grow up a lot. Yeah. Um, the way that I kind of explain it to everyone, and from my point of view, again, I was 13 years old, so I was just wrapped up in my own little friends and stuff, but the only way I can explain it is, I mean, Adriana was her whole world. I mean, she didn't have much of anything. It's not like your typical teenager who's going off to college and, you know, dating college-wise and then moving into an apartment. Like, she wasn't doing those things. She mm-hmm. found out young she was having a baby. She still lived at home, and we all kind of supported her. So Adriana was like her home. Um, yeah. You know, that's what she clung to. And, I mean, I'm just telling you, it was her entire life. I mean, yeah. I, was, I have pictures of them, like, snuggled up, sleeping together in Jennifer's bed. She lived in our bonus room upstairs whenever the baby was born. Cause mm-hmm. That was the biggest room in our house. So we, Okay. We had set up, like, the nursery up there, and Jennifer had, um, like, her bedroom up there so they could have their own space. And I have pictures of them just laying in bed and snuggling Mm -hmm. with each other. Now, as Jennifer went through her pregnancy, she narrowed her list of baby names down to one after she found out she was having a girl, Adriana. It was beautiful and unique, and it would fit that precious little girl perfectly. Now, at the time that Jennifer had the baby, she thought a guy she had been close with, Charles, was Adriana's dad. 
Charles came to the hospital to be with Jennifer when Adriana was born on January 14, 2002. And he even signed Adriana's birth certificate. But because Jennifer couldn't say for certain who the baby's dad was, he didn't stay super involved after this. Jennifer and Charles would ultimately decide to get a paternity test shortly before the disappearance. Although they were not together as a couple, Charles did want to know if he was Adriana's dad. The paternity test results would show that he was not the father, but he still cared about Jennifer and Adriana. He has met with Jennifer's sister Casey recently and is also wanting answers about what happened to them. There are no ill feelings here. And if you're listening, I want you to make sure that you do not shame Jennifer's character for not knowing who her baby's dad was. I feel like I've heard other people cover this case that say they've seen a lot of like negative comments like about Jennifer being so young and having a baby or, you know, and all that stuff surrounding it. But Jennifer was not dating anyone seriously at the time. She was a young adult just having fun, dating around. There's no shame in that. She can do whatever she wanted to do. And this little fact has nothing to do with who she was as a person or what kind of mother she would be. She wasn't planning to become pregnant. It was an accident and one that happens to all sorts of people all the time. Though it may have started off as an accident, it really became a blessing in disguise. Adriana was everything to Jennifer, and she filled her heart and her soul in a way that no one else could. Now, Jennifer did have an idea of who Adriana's father could be. So once Charles was rolled out, she let her other friend know that this little girl may be his A paternity test was done with this guy before Jennifer and Adriana disappeared, but the results didn't come in in time for Jennifer to find out before she goes missing. Jennifer and her family were pretty positive that this guy was Adriana's dad, but those records were not easily accessible. They only recently were able to gain access to these records and confirm that this other guy is, in fact, Adriana's biological father. Now, we don't know who this guy is, his name, or any information about him, because Casey, Jennifer's sister, doesn't want to just out him like that. She has talked with him recently, and he does want to put his story out there one day, but she just wanted to protect his identity for now, and he can control the narrative around his own story. But before Jennifer and Adriana went missing, he was somewhat building a relationship with them since they did have the idea that he may be the dad. He had met Adriana and was somewhat in her life. They probably would have gotten to know each other more and built a relationship as the, as the years went on, but they would never get that opportunity. Because of the circumstances, everyone remembers it as always being just Jennifer and Adriana. They were a duo, a pair that was inseparable. Jennifer is who gave her all to Adriana, and Adriana was obsessed with her mom, as most young kids are. They had a love that was deep, and it was them against the world. Adriana was Jennifer's home. She was wrapped around her little finger. And like we discussed earlier, 
Jennifer's family helped her tremendously with her new baby. And Casey remembers spending a lot of time with the baby herself. She was 13 at the time that Jennifer and Adriana were living with them. Yeah, the baby, I mean, she was... I mean, what do you say about a two-year-old? So cute. I know. And they're perfect and they're innocent. And I mean, she was just so adorable. Like you, like a Gerber baby. Yes. That's the only way to explain her. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Jennifer's parents and sisters adored her little girl. Of course, they loved playing with her and just watching her grow Jennifer and her mom, Kathy, adjusted their work schedules to be opposite of each other. This way, Jennifer could use her mom's car for her shift, and her family could help with Adriana while she was working. Jennifer and Adriana took over the upstairs bonus room in their family home since it was the biggest room in the house, and they made themselves a little home up there. They made it work. But shortly after Adriana's first birthday, Jennifer's mom got a job offer. It was a promotion. And that was exciting for Kathy, who had been a single mom all these years. She was being promoted to a store manager with Lowe's, a home improvement store. But the catch was that this promotion would move her to Nevada. Remember, Kathy had her three girls living with her, Jennifer, Heather, and Casey. At this time, Jennifer is 20 years old, she has a young baby, and she grew up there in Tennessee. That was her home, and she didn't want to move. She felt it would be best for her to stay, and her younger sister, Heather, also decided to stay in Tennessee as well. She was in her later years of high school, and she also wasn't ready to uproot her life just before graduating. But Casey was young, about middle school aged, and she needed to go with her mom. Remember, Jennifer's grandparents and aunt lived here, so the girls moved in with their aunt Lori, Kathy's sister. Okay, guys, so I have to jump in here real quick with an edit because I messed up and I don't know how I did this. But Jennifer's aunt, who I was just talking about, her name is Lisa. And I knew this. I knew this when I was talking to Casey. You'll hear Casey call her Lisa in this episode. You'll also hear me be like, hey, your aunt was Lisa, right? But somehow when I was writing this episode and as I recorded it, I wrote down Lori and I guess I just ran with it, even though I knew it was Lisa. Even when I was editing, I didn't catch the fact that sometimes I say Lisa and sometimes I say Lori. So that is my bad 100%. I don't think I can go through and edit each name out because it would be pretty difficult. So from this point forward in the story, just know that Lisa and Lori, that's the same person. Her real name is Lisa. I call her Lori sometimes. I don't know what's wrong with me. Bear with me. But I just wanted to clear that up and make sure that everyone understands Lisa, Lori, same person. There's one aunt and it's Lisa, aka as I call her Lori, I guess. And Jennifer would spend a lot of time here at her aunt's house as well as at her grandparents' home down the road. Kathy and Casey had made their move to Nevada in early 2003. 
And while Jennifer was spending a lot of time at Lori's house, her bond with her cousin Jeffrey grew strong. He was just about a year younger than Jennifer. And Jeffrey was really good friends with a guy named William Joseph Benton, who everyone just called Joey. And Joey would come over to Lori and Jeffrey's home where Jennifer was living at the time. Or Jennifer would go out with her cousin and Joey would tag along. And the two started to hit it off. Jennifer and Joey's relationship would soon turn romantic and Jennifer quickly became excited about Joey. Yeah, so we moved to Nevada in early 2003. Um, She met Joey in July of 2003. So a couple months after we... Yeah, a couple months after we moved, she met him and she called my mom and was all excited that she'd met someone and was, you know, telling her about it. And she met him through my cousin, Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was really good friends with my cousin. Uh, that's my mom's sister. Yes. Son. And is that sister um, Lisa? Is that her name? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, although Jennifer was excited about Joey he wasn't exactly hanging out with the best crowd. Through the years, both before Jennifer disappeared and after, Joey has had multiple convictions, things like possession charges or DUIs. But at the time that Jennifer met Joey, he was only 21 years old, so he didn't have a lot on his record at that point. Casey says he basically ran within the crowd who had access to drugs. Um, If you go and search public record, like through the Robertson County Sheriff's Department, and you can go and look at records through their website, you'll find his name over and over and over again. Okay. Um, You know, prior to their disappearance and up until recently. Um, Some of them are possession charges. Some of them... You know, they're different things. DUI, there's all kinds of charges on there. I mean, DUI is not drug-related, and some even people that are just, you know what I'm saying? But you'll find all kinds of them on there. So as far as the history, yes, it's there. At that point in time, I mean, he was 21 years old. So, I mean, there wasn't a huge record, but they were involved with the crowd that knew how to get drugs. And regardless of the crowd he may have ran with, Jennifer was falling for him. He was good to Jennifer and her little girl. He would build things for Adriana, like a little bed and a rocking horse. He was accepting of her status as a single mom. Jennifer and Adriana even decided to move in with Joey, who actually still lived with his parents, but that was okay because to Jennifer, things seemed so good at least at first. Isn't that how it always starts out? But soon, Jennifer found herself trapped within an abusive relationship. Now, let's remember that an abusive relationship doesn't just mean he may have been hitting her. Abuse in a relationship can range from physical to emotional to financial to sexual. And here's the thing. He didn't have domestic violence charges within the relationship. But that's very common. Most women who think they may be in love or that are scared of their partner do not want police involved. And there are so many reasons behind this, such as the two I just stated, or even feeling shame in themselves about the situation. 
Just because someone's domestic violence history is not documented doesn't mean it was not there. And Jennifer may not have even thought of herself as a victim of abuse, but she had relayed some pretty scary situations back to her mom. Situations that were dangerous and filled Kathy with worry. There's some things that are probably going to come up in articles and podcasts that you listen to about our case uh, where my sister has given accounts of his violence. Mm-hmm. Um, so outside of her accounts, like I can't attest to any of that, but I know that she had told my mom about like a puppy that they had had um, gotten for Adriana and he supposedly killed that dog. Oh my uh, gosh, that's horrible. It's, it's kind of hard to say, but he, uh, I don't even know if I should say what he did, but um, yeah. So anyways, he had killed that dog. And then um, there's also another account where she actually called my mom and this kind of started the chain of events that is about to happen and that leads up to their disappearance. But this is kind of like the first red flag. Uh And it was when she called my mom because he pulled a gun, um, like not pulled a gun and put it to her head or anything. And I don't know the complete circumstance. And I just know she called my mom distraught. His mom had just dropped her off at her grandmother's house that lived right down the road because um, he had pulled a gun and threatened to hurt himself, the baby and Adriana. And he told his mom, like, get them out of here. Yeah, and I wish I could give you a lot more detail. You know, looking back, it's one of those things, like, everyone asks, was there a police report filed? And I'm like, no. And both those incidents are huge red flags to me. You're going to kill a dog that you bought for a child? And it seems that it was in a pretty horrific way because... Casey couldn't even talk about how exactly it happened, thankfully sparing us from the details. But can you imagine what was going through Jennifer's mind during this incident? This was traumatizing and scary. That situation mixed with the fact that he pulled a gun out and pointed it at her and her daughter shows me that regardless of having no police report, He was, in fact, becoming increasingly violent in their relationship, and it was becoming more dangerous as time went on. Yeah, that's scary. I I think about that a lot when I hear people murder animals. Remember when that one kitten that I ran over was, like, dying, and I, like, thought about... Putting it out of its misery. Yeah, and I couldn't. No. Like I couldn't I couldn't make it suffer even though it was suffering. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Like my conscience wouldn't let me do it. Right. You know I'm not a big animal person. Like I'm just not, but I do not want them to be hurt or like killed. Like that makes me sick. Yeah. Yeah, this specific phone call where there was not a police report filed or anything, um this happened in September, I think, of 2003. Okay. Um You know, my mom and I still lived in Nevada at the time. And after this phone call, my mom was like, we got to go home. You know, I got to be there for Mm -hmm. my daughter and my granddaughter. Like, they can't be in this situation. So, I mean, I'm telling you, it was maybe a couple weeks and we were packed up back in Tennessee. As you just heard, after Jennifer called her mom mortified about the situation where Joey pulled a gun on her, Kathy was like, nope. 
this is not good. We are going home, which cheers to her because that is incredible that she saw the situation for what it was and she truly put her daughter first. She up and left her promotion and went to help Jennifer. That is selfless and is like the definition of an amazing mom. Now, Joey pulled the gun around September of 2003. Remember, they had just met in July of 2003. Things escalated in this relationship very quickly. Once Kathy and Casey moved back to Tennessee, Jennifer moved in with them. Remember, Joey's mom had dropped her off at her grandma's house after the gun incident. And with that, Jennifer, of course, moved out of the Benton home. And then when her mom came back to town, Jennifer and Adriana found their way back home, living with her mom and her sisters again. Yeah, that's whenever, yeah, she moved into, um, my grandmother had a house like right there in Cross Plains, Tennessee, mm-hmm. right on the main highway. And she moved in there. Um, it had a basement apartment, not like a sketchy basement, but like a finished nice basement with two bedrooms, a bathroom. It was nice. Um, so she and the baby moved in down there. And then when my mom and I moved back from Vegas, we all moved back in together, uh, into that home. That's where we lived at the time that they disappeared. So, okay. um, so really close by. Yes. Uh, very close by. We all lived. Um, and if you search on our Facebook page, I did some like Google earth images recently just to show, I think it's like nine miles from their home. Um, yeah, it's, it's all right there in cross plains is cross plains, Tennessee, a very small, small town with like one main four way stop and one main highway that goes through the town. Some people have their ideas of them and opinions, but I'm like, the more the merrier, you know, take a look. And I'm just trying to do the legwork for everyone and put it out there and just show them, you know, yes, visually, this is the path that they would have taken, you know, if anyone was in any of these areas that night that can come forward with any information, you know, so just trying to put that out there. Once Jennifer was back in Kathy's home, there was a sense of relief and peace. Kathy felt like her daughter was safe, but Joey Benton was still close by. Jennifer would see him around. This was a small town. So where did Joey come from? What background did he have that would lead him to have so much anger that he would kill a dog and pull a gun on his girlfriend and her baby? You know, from things that my mom has told me and other people in the community just over the years as I've grown up and even recently as I've started to like dig further into the case. I mean, I've learned quite a bit and uh, from some of their family members as well, like cousins and aunts and uh, grandparents of his. And, you know, I've learned quite a bit. And I'll just say, of course, they were dysfunctional. Um, I know that their home had quite a bit of weapons. Um, you know, that comes up a lot in a lot of the articles you'll read too, just because it's something that my sister was aware of and had brought up to my mom about being, you know, concerned about all the weapons around, um, the baby, you know, being there around all of that. Yes. Um, but you have to think like, we're talking rural Tennessee, you know, guns are a thing out here. Oh, totally. Okay? We're but, in Idaho. So, like, yeah. I, t- I totally get it. Yes. So, it's so like I don't want, normal, yeah. but also, like, they were there. They were accessible. 
yes, and I would say guns are normal out here, but I would call their level of access to weapons a lot higher than normal. Okay. Um, so you've got your average, like my household maybe has like, I don't know, four, you know, guns right. that my husband has. And I would say, I don't know, they have a lot more than that. Because my like... sister said that they had them in arm's reach no matter where you were in the house. Wow. So according to EFSGV, intimate partner violence is a public health crisis in the United States with one in four women and one in seven men experiencing severe physical violence at the hands of their partner. More than half of all intimate partner homicides are committed with guns. And a woman is five times more likely to be murdered when her abuser has access to a gun. Mm, that's scary. I know. Those are scary statistics. And there is kind of like a fight out there to make sure that people who are like convicted of abuse and stuff never have access to firearms. Yeah, I know if you get charged in Utah, um, that's part of the deal. Oh, really? Like, yeah. Well, like if there's oh, like that's good. a protection order or... Like a domestic violence charge, then you're not allowed to have a firearm. Oh, that's good. That's a good law. Their young son lived in a shed on their property and had his friends over constantly partying, you know, Mm -hmm. doing drugs and drinking at their home. And there are parents out there that want to be the cool parents, you know, and like have everyone over at their house. Um, So maybe they were just really trusting of him. I'm not for sure. Um, But I can tell you that they're family in general is kind of just keeps to themselves kind of reclusive um you know out in the woods just I don't know they're not like I just wouldn't describe them as normal like they're just yeah. I mean I'm sure that they had a nor his mom had a normal job she worked at a, a hospital the next county over and um Joey and his dad worked for a friend of his dad's doing like construction. I feel like their lives were a lot more normal then than they are now. Um, yes. You know, I mean, they've been under a lot of, you know, speculation as far as this case is concerned. I think it's really affected them, um, you know, but I think that their family dynamic and if you have the opportunity, I don't know how far you'll dig into everything. There are there are people who will talk about Joey and his mom's relationship. Um, Jennifer had brought it up, you know, that she thought his mom was jealous of her and Joey. Uh, you know, that's their that's their baby. Joey has an older right. sister, and he's the baby in the family. Um, and you know, he still lives at home with them after all oh. these years. Wow. So Jennifer stayed with her mom for a couple months after Kathy and Casey moved back from Nevada. But after tensions simmered, Jennifer started talking to Joey again. And her family didn't know. Wait, so um, you did say her mom came back. Did she come back just for her? Yeah. She just came back just to, because she had a bad feeling about Jennifer's situation and after the whole gun thing she was like nope we're going back now remember her family already thinks he is dangerous and at this point 
they don't want Jennifer or Adriana around him. But this can be very common in a toxic relationship where a victim comes back to their abuser. Maybe their eyes aren't open to the fact that it's an abusive relationship because they feel like they're in love. Maybe they are coerced or guilt-tripped back into the situation. According to Hotline.org, on average, it takes a victim seven times to leave before finally leaving for good. Oh, that seems like so many times. I know. And it's very hard for people, you know, like, because all these people around them are in it and they don't want them to go back and like, you know, tensions can get high with the people you do actually have good relationships with. But, you know, they're adults. So what can you do? You can only give them your advice. And yeah, it's a tough um, cycle for sure. So I'm sure as they reconnected, Joey apologized, made it seem like he would change, made Jennifer feel like she missed him, like this relationship could be fixed. And she believed him. So in December of 2003, she decided to go back to him, even to move back in with him. But she knew her mom would not take this news well. I mean, she had come back all the way from Nevada to give Jennifer a safe place to be, to protect her. So Jennifer asked Joey to come help her move her stuff out while her mom was working. What? Oh, that would hurt. I know. It's like, no, that was probably painful for her mom. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's a young adult, but they just, they know what they want and they're going to do what they want regardless of what you say, you know? Yeah. And her sister Casey knew something was wrong with the situation and even she didn't want Jennifer moving back in with Joey. The couple is not finished when Kathy gets home from work. And as soon as she walks in the door, Casey is like, um, Joey is downstairs and he's moving Jennifer's stuff out of our house. And her mom's heart sinks. Like, no, she can't go. She can't go back to him. So Kathy confronts Joey and Jennifer and starts begging her daughter not to go. And emotions in the home start getting heated. Jennifer is an adult. She feels like she can do whatever she wants. And she can. Oh, adult kids are so hard. I know. (laughs) Young adults. (laughs) You just want to tell them what to do and you can't. I know. And that's like exactly how Kathy felt because she's looking at this relationship from the outside in. She's seeing red flags that Jennifer maybe did not want to accept. And Kathy felt like she knew what was best for Jennifer. And as the tensions escalated, Kathy shuts the front door as Joey walks out, locking him out of the home, but keeping Jennifer inside. And she starts pleading with Jennifer. Please don't go. Please don't move back in with him. And things start to get physical. Jennifer is trying to leave and push her way out, but Kathy is trying to hold her back. And all of this is happening while Joey is outside fuming. And then the house shakes as he kicks the locked door over and over again until it swings open. At this point, Adriana is crying and Casey is scared. She grabs the baby and rushes to a back room with her. She closes the door behind her and she dials 911. After we moved back and we were all living in this home, there was an incident in December. So Jennifer and Joey were broken up for about 
I don't know, like a month and a week or two, um, you know, all the way till about mid-December, they started talking again. And right before Christmas, it was December 21st. I have the police report for it. Um, He came to our home to take Jennifer back. Um, So I guess they had been talking and they had decided she was going to leave with him. And it was before my mom got home from work. I was 15. My older sister, I guess, is 17 then. Um, And he comes into our house and goes down into this basement apartment where they lived. And they were gathering all of Jennifer and Adriana's things. And my mom gets home from work, you know, after five. And I tell my mom when she comes in the door, I'm like, Joey's downstairs. And she's like, what? And she does not like him at this point. Well, he had pulled a gun on Jennifer. Yeah. Um, a month and a half prior. I wouldn't either, like, yes. No, he's scary at this point, you know? Absolutely. Um, so no one, of course, wants their child to be around someone like that, or definitely not their two-year-old grandkid. And so, you know, mom goes down there and starts to talk with them and confront them. And, you know, things get very heated. And Joey carries all their stuff out the front door after coming upstairs and we close and lock the door behind him. Jennifer's still inside trying Mm -hmm. to talk her out of it. Like, don't go, don't go. You don't need to be in this situation. How could you go back to him? Whatever. Things get really heated. They do get physical. Like it's like physically trying to stop her from going into what's about to happen months later that we can just see it. Yes. I can't imagine like the desperation of your mom, like just trying to get her to stay. Yes, I would do anything in my freaking power. I have two young daughters also. Like, Mm -hmm. I would have done the exact same thing. And so, here's me, 15-year-old, you know, Casey at the time, and the baby's crying, like, distraught with all this yelling and bickering and fighting going on. And so, I take her, I run into my mom's room in the back of the house, and I call 911. And that's how the police showed up because I was just like, you're you like, know. this is too much. <laughs> yes. I have, I have never experienced this in my life, this kind of, like, domestic situation. Like, right. I don't even know how to explain it, you know. So it was a first for me. Uh, I've never called 911. So they show up, and by that time, Jennifer and Joey are already gone. They left without the baby. And, oh. yeah, they go back to his parents' house, and... Jennifer comes back after the police take our statement and uh, she comes back with Joey's mom. And of course, we've got to let Adriana go back with Jennifer. Um, You know, we have no rights as far as that's concerned. And, you know, and at that point in time, it's a crazy situation. Jennifer, you know, feels like she's on the other side of this fight that we just had in this house, you know. Um, So she's on their side and they leave and they go back and um, Jennifer and Joey stayed in a shed barn. They called it the party barn on his parents' property out back. And um, yeah, I have some photos of that too uh, that I've not actually shared before. But um, yeah, they, they lived in this shed. I call it a shed and a barn. I don't want people thinking like we're in Tennessee, like it's like a tobacco barn or something. It's not like that it's like one of those sheds that you see like a big shed that you see it like lows and they had put carpet in it and drywall uh-huh. on the wall yeah. and cert- and it had like a drop ceiling in it and electricity that they had run it had everything except running water and heat um okay. so if they 
if they had to take a shower, they came inside. If they had to go to the bathroom, they came inside his parents' home. And then um, they just kind of had this own little space of their own like a, in the back. Like a bedroom. Yeah, okay. Basically like a bedroom. Um, and so that's where Jennifer and Joey and Adriana stayed through the new year. We did not spend Christmas with them. Um, we also missed Adriana's birthday. So her birthday is on January 14th. That's whenever she turned two. Um, if you see any pictures of her Blue's mm-hmm. Clues birthday party. Um, so cute. That, yeah, it's so cute, but also it's very hard to look at because, you guys I mean, weren't we, weren't, there. We, weren't, we weren't there. We weren't speaking. She wasn't speaking to us. And you know? this was all stemmed just from that argument. Yeah. Yeah. It's just from that. And it's really sad, you know, but families deal with this kind of thing, you know, every, every day. day. Mm-hmm. You know, and family members don't talk. And so we were just going through that. No one thought, you know, what was going to happen a couple months of later course. was we weren't going to see them ever again. No one know? ever thinks, like, that this kind of thing is going to happen to their family. Yeah. Now, there is a lot of speculation done by people who cover this case or web sleuths that say Jennifer and Adriana's disappearance may have just been due to Jennifer running. But some people have even speculated that she may have been running from her mom because they say her mom threatened to take Adriana away from Jennifer. These speculations are based on the police report from December. But as we just heard, that is not the case. Thankfully, we were able to hear firsthand about the incident with Jennifer and her mom. Kathy never wanted to take Adriana away from Jennifer, She just wanted to protect her daughter and granddaughter from the guy who gave her a bad feeling deep in her gut. Once January hits, the weather starts to drop into temperatures that are too cold for their little shed bedroom that had no heat. So Joey, Jennifer, and Adriana move inside the Benton's family home. It was a small three-bedroom brick home with two bathrooms, a living room, and a kitchen. Jennifer and Joey took a bedroom and Adriana took the third room for herself, where they would put the little toddler bed that Joey made for her. And we know at this point she was somewhat estranged with her mom and sisters on her mom's side due to the tension surrounding Joey kicking in their family's front door. But Casey wants us to take note of the fact that Jennifer never stopped having contact with the rest of her family. During this time, she was in constant contact with her dad, her grandparents, and even Kathy's sister, Lori. Jennifer had so many close family relationships. And time heals some wounds. So after just a couple of months, Jennifer and Kathy reconnected. And Jennifer started seeing her mom and two sisters again. She couldn't stay mad at them forever for trying to keep her from Joey. They were only trying to help her. But even though their relationship could be mended, Kathy wouldn't accept Joey. He was no longer allowed in Kathy's home. And I'd be the same way. Like, nope, you are not coming over here. Just waiting out until they break up. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I totally would be the same. Yeah. So she slowly started talking to my mom again uh, and coming around around my birthday. So February 22nd, my mom and I share a birthday and it was my 16th birthday. So I had a little thing at the house with friends and whatever. And 
Joey wasn't allowed at our house anymore after everything that happened. Mom yeah. was like, no, he can't come here, you know? So if she did see my mom, they would meet up somewhere. Um, or on my birthday, she they parked like on this curb outside of our house and she and the baby walked in to see us while he waited. Um, oh. So it was very just still tense and hostile, like as far as she's going to stay with him, but she's still trying to have a relationship with us. Now, do you think Um, he was pressuring her to, like, not rekindle that relationship since since um, he, like, obviously knew? It's a possibility, you know. I mean, every time that my mom, you know, mentions that she talked to them on the phone, they were always, he was, like, bickering at her about using his minutes to talk to my mom, you know, just... It's like, dude, stop. Like, she's talking to her mom. (laughs) Yeah. Like, let her be. Well, I mean, it's a classic sign with people that are, you know, possibly abusive or that they do really, they enjoy the person they're with being isolated. Yes. So I I believe that 100%. Yeah. It's good to note here that during this time, while Jennifer was living in the Benton home, she did not have a job. She was focusing on taking care of Adriana. But with not having a job, she also had to rely heavily on Joey. Jennifer did not own her own cell phone, although there was a landline in the Benton home that she could use from her bedroom. Jennifer also did not have her own bank account or her own car. So if she wanted to go somewhere, Joey was always taking her. February goes by and March comes. No one realizes this month would be detrimental to all of their lives. One day, Jennifer notices how irritable Adriana is. She's crying, she feels sick, and she's just not herself. And on late Monday night, she asks Joey and his parents if any of them would be willing to drive her to the ER. Something is wrong with my baby. I need to take her to the hospital. But they tell her no. They have work in the morning. It's too late. And she was probably just overreacting. Take her to the doctors tomorrow. She's fine. But Jennifer didn't feel fine. Her mother's instinct wouldn't leave her mind and she was going to find a way to get her daughter to the hospital. So she calls her Aunt Lori and, of course, she agrees to come pick up Jennifer and Adriana to take them to the ER. And they're admitted shortly before midnight sometime around 11 p.m. And they stay there into the early morning hours of Tuesday. The ER did find that Adriana had an infection and the ER did recommend that Jennifer takes Adriana to the pediatrician the next day. So on Tuesday afternoon, Jennifer's grandma picks up the girls and takes them to their appointment. Now, there is a lot of speculation surrounding this infection. Many believe that this could point to possible sexual abuse of Adriana, perpetrated by Joey. And this was never alleged by Jennifer or anyone else, and it's not proven only speculated you know i think that there's in our case there's a lot of pointing fingers at joey and i think that everyone should stay as open-minded as possible because the last place they were seen was his parents home so the three of them joey joe and cindy all lived there in that home and it could be 
any of them. Absolutely, um, yes. But I think, like I said, like everyone should just stay open minded that it could be any member of that family who was under that roof, you know, yeah, potentially I do. looking after her. Yes, um, I totally agree with that. So is it possible? Yes, it's absolutely possible. There are no allegations or anything like that. Um, you know, we have not released any information from their actual medical records. Okay. Um, so that's just I like can, rumors. That's just um, talk. I can tell you and confirm with you that she did have an infection, and it is an infection that is commonly seen in sexually active adult women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, are there other causes for it? Yeah, um, but it's just not very common in a two-year-old. Yeah, and, um, you know, he had a sister, um, so, you know, I mean, you don't want to think that way, but we see it in the news every day. There are, you know, parents that are capable of doing things that they shouldn't, and so there have been, those are all, that's all speculation and all rumor, um, you know, that we can't put out there, but things that we've heard from people that know them and people in their family. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not just us making it up. It is. It is like know, a valid concern that like multiple yes. people have had. Exactly. Nothing proven, yeah. but something that people may have noticed. Exactly. Yeah. And so, of course, after the ER visit, you know, earlier that the week that they disappear, and this being a concern after Jennifer leaves you know, and being told, like, this isn't common in a two-year-old, you know, that's something that she was worried about. And so it's been brought up many, many times if that is possibly a motive, you know. Um, Or, like, a reason towards, like, it being so tense. Yeah. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe Jennifer started to become suspicious and maybe she was acting differently towards them or being snappy or... You know, so there's all kinds of theorizing you could do about what happened. Now, while Jennifer is at the pediatrician's, the doctor recommends Jennifer to get something that will help with Adriana's irritation. Once Jennifer tells her mom this, Kathy is like, great, I know exactly what I can make you. I'll make you this butt butter. It's a paste that I swear works. Meet me at the Dollar General store tonight. And Jennifer is over the moon, hoping that this pace mixed with the medicine Adriana was prescribed will help make her baby feel better. A sick little child can be so overwhelming, and watching your baby suffer is never a good feeling. So Joey reluctantly agrees to drive Jennifer and Adriana to meet her mom at the Dollar General store that Tuesday night. When they were first scheduling this meetup, Kathy could hear Joey in the background just picking at Jennifer, complaining about her using all of his minutes on his phone. But once they arrive at the store, Kathy grabs Adriana out of the car for a minute, and she says she looked miserable, and Kathy could tell how sick Adriana was feeling. She handed the paste to Jennifer and gave Adriana a big squeeze before putting her back into her car seat. But Adriana wasn't having it. She didn't want to go back in her car seat. She wanted to go with Kathy. Can I come with you, Mimi? Let me come with you. But 
Kathy worked the next day and Jennifer wanted to comfort her daughter that night as she recovered from her infection. So Kathy says to Jennifer, will you bring Adriana over this weekend to come see me? And Jennifer says yes. With that, the couple drives out of the parking lot and down the road, back to the Bentons' home. Kathy had no reason to believe that this would be the last time she would ever see her daughter or granddaughter's faces. And so my mom puts her in her car seat, you know, buckles her in, and that's the last time my mom sees her. That's actually the last time anyone in my family, other than the Bentons, actually see Jennifer. So out, like, anyone, like Jennifer's grandparents, everything, like, that is the last time anyone out of Jennifer's family saw her. But it wasn't the last time Kathy would ever speak to Jennifer. The very next evening on Wednesday, Jennifer makes a call to her mom from the landline in her and Joey's room at the Bentons, and she's distraught. Joey and his parents had been yelling at her. They had gotten in her face. Joey's mom was sick and tired of hearing Adriana cry all the time. Which, okay, um, she has an infection. She's a sick little two-year-old. They cry. Get over it. Yeah, uh... Yeah, and to your point, you've heard more about his mom because of this phone conversation. And my sister even tells my mom on the phone, you know, that they had both been going at it with her, his mom and his dad. dad. She'd been fighting with his parents. And she said, I just find that really odd because he normally really likes me and he was in my face. That's what she told my mom. Um, About his dad. About his dad, yeah. Um, so things were just heated between all of them this night. And yeah, you're right. She did talk about his mom that night, upset that the baby was crying so much. Oh, so not, not Jennifer. Not, yeah. Cause the baby was sick that week. So that'll come up quite a bit too. Um, my sister wow. had taken her to the, to the ER. She had an infection, mm-hmm. yes. uh, some yeah. respiratory stuff and another infection. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't their grandkid and here they're living here in their home and I can understand how all these people under one tiny roof you know tensions are gonna get high you know yes I can understand like it being hard but it also it does seem like a red flag to be I thought it was a red flag that she was annoyed of if Jennifer was crying let alone it being like a baby Right. So, like, are you going to be mad at a two-year-old crying? Yes. You know, but think if it's not yours, you know, people talk about parents, you know, if they're your own kids, like you're a little bit, totally. you know, cool about it. If they're not your kids, you're sometimes annoyed, like you could go out to a restaurant or something. So I just think about that situation, like the, these kids, Jennifer and Adriana, don't belong to them. So they're kind of like, what's this girl doing under my roof? Like, here mm-hmm. we are paying for your food. Like, you're mooching off of us. Like, right. kind of attitude towards her, you know? And so she had talked to my mom on, that was Wednesday, March 24th in 2004. That's the last time my mom ever talked to her. And um, wow. she... Yeah, my sister called to give her an update about the ER and doctor visits and uh, update on Adriana because she was fighting with them. And Cindy was telling her what a horrible mom she was, saying she should be locked up somewhere because they were trying to sleep train the baby. 
and the baby was screaming in the background of this call, like crying, very upset. And my mom's like, you know, where's Adriana? Why is she crying? And my sister tells her, well, she's in her room. She had her own little room there set up um, in one of the three bedrooms. And she's like, Joey's in there with her. He can withstand all of the crying. I can't. Like, I'll bring her back in bed. And so his mom was like, he shouldn't be in there with the baby. You should be in there. Like, what kind of mother are you? You know? Oh, my gosh. Um, That's horrible. Instead of thinking about them like they're a young couple in a relationship who may one day be married and may one day be a part of my family, like, it's like, why are you taking care of this girl's kid? So they had a home line in there. And so she was in there talking to mom on the phone. And, you know, that's when my mom heard the baby crying and upset. And Jennifer ultimately goes in there and gets the baby and brings her into the room with her. My mom was like, just go get her. Tonight's not a good night, you know, to be doing this. Just do this tomorrow or do it when she's feeling better. Like Mm -hmm. she still doesn't feel good, you know. And so Jennifer goes get her. The baby falls asleep and, um, you know, Jennifer talks to my mom about some weird things that Joey's mom says. Uh, she says something about Michael Jackson, about, you know, Joey's in the room alone with the baby. Uh, and Cindy's making all kinds of comments about Jennifer's, you know, character and about how she is as a mom, like how bad she sucks at being a mom. Oh and gosh. and she's saying, like, Joey doesn't need to be in there. This is the same kind of thing that Michael Jackson got in trouble for. And so... what? I know, I know. Which yeah. this is around the time whenever Michael Jackson was getting in trouble for all the stuff that he was yes. in trouble for in, in the public side. So, you know, top of mind for her, she's probably like, my son don't need to be alone in a room in there. So, you know, I'm just trying to let you know, like, the kind of things that were being said. Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. It was very tense, you know, and Jennifer's trying to rehash all this with my mom and just, you know, tell her. So my mom's like, this doesn't sound good like do you want me to come get you can I come get you and she's like no mom like the Bentons they don't want you here after the incident in December the Bentons were not happy with Jennifer's mom and the way she kicked their son out of her house and how the police were called Jennifer had made it very clear to Kathy that she was not allowed to come onto their property to get her or Adriana And Jennifer didn't want more tension by allowing Kathy to come pick her up. She feared it could have escalated the situation even further. She could not come. So if anyone is wondering, like, why mom didn't come to her rescue on Monday and take her to the ER or to the pediatrician, it's because my mom wasn't allowed over there. She was not, like, like, welcome on their property. Yeah, like, she wasn't. You know, after everything that happened in December, whenever, you know, I called 911 and, you know, he got, Joey got in trouble for kicking down our door, like, we weren't on good terms with them. Kathy didn't feel good about leaving Jennifer and Adriana at the Benton's home, but Jennifer convinced her mom that it was okay. She needed to handle her own stuff and she could handle this on her own. Kathy sighs and she tells Jennifer just to make sure to call her tomorrow. Let everything calm down and we'll talk tomorrow. Kathy hangs up and she would never hear the sweet sound of Jennifer's voice ever again. But this wasn't the last time anyone talked to Jennifer. 
on Thursday morning, Jennifer did talk to her Aunt Lisa. And after telling Lisa what had happened, Lisa set out a key for Jennifer just in case she needed to go somewhere. She talked to my aunt, too, about everything that had happened and the arguing and, you know, status of the baby after doctor's appointments. And my aunt had left out a key for her and said, you know, wow, things are really bad. Like, I'm going to leave a key for you if you need to come here because my aunt lived like three miles down the road. Okay, so very close. Very close. And her her granny lived the opposite direction, like into Springfield, not very far either, like maybe a 10 minute drive okay um so they both live very close but my aunt left a key out for her you know and so if anything my sister made a plan right then if anything goes awry like i can come there and then jennifer also talked with her dad she was reiterating to him what had happened the night before and she talked to her dad for more than two hours she said in his conversation with my mom and these old notes, she told her dad, Daddy, I'm scared. Aww. And he said, of what? And she said of Joey's mom, like, she's acting really strange. She's being very mean to me. Like, you know, and just rehashed everything that happened the night before and all the comments and his dad getting in her face. And he's like, well, have your mom or your granny come get you. And she tells her dad, like, no, Joey's coming home and we're going to go on a picnic. Mm. So where was Joey and his family on this Thursday? Thursday is kind of the day that I've narrowed down where whatever happened happened on Thursday, March 25th, Mm -hmm. 2004, because it is really important to note and um, I mentioned to you, I don't know, in an email um, that there are some things that I feel like are really important that if someone's trying to put together a timeline, they need to know. Yes. And this family, this entire family in this household, including Jennifer and Adriana, shared two vehicles. So there was a truck. It was a Ranger, a Ford Ranger, I believe, that Joey drove most of the time. Um, and it was in the shop this week. So okay, between, so there was only one vehicle. Yes. So between the four of them, Jennifer, Joey, and his parents, they had one car, a Ford Explorer. And that's most of the time whenever I saw Jennifer and Adriana, what they were driving because the car seat. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they were most of the time driving this. Um, So police have supposedly unconfirmed by me because we can't see documentation and whatnot and, um, you know, phone records and things. But they've confirmed that his mom was at work on Thursday and she worked a county over so it was a good probably hour away so she had to have the car that's what my assumption is because I don't feel like anyone would drive her an hour to and from work and bring you know who knows but you know that's just my assumption okay Joey was at work in Franklin Kentucky which is also about 45 minutes to an hour away north of where they lived and he had ridden to work all week with my cousin jeffrey 
Joey's at work in Franklin, Kentucky. Now, Joe, his dad, everything that I've ever found, including speaking with the police about his statement, is they cannot place him on this day. Okay. And he and he cannot remember. Um, he does bring up that he was possibly at an oncologist appointment um, that he had gone to every Thursday for a certain period of time during this time. So it's possible he was at a doctor's appointment and all of their family lived there close. I find it super strange that Joe, Joey's dad, cannot remember where he was that day. Like, sure, I I forget a lot of the time what I'm doing, like, a week ago, but this ends up being a big day in Joe's life because it's the last time that his son's girlfriend is ever seen by them. And it's the last time she was ever contacted by her own family, but you just can't rack your brain to figure it out. Yeah, that does not sound right. No. Like you heard, Jennifer had told her dad, Michael, that her and Joey were going to go on a picnic. And after this Thursday afternoon, there are no more confirmed conversations with or sightings of Jennifer or Adriana. The only story being told from those phone conversations on is a story where the narrative is being controlled by Joey, Cindy, and Joe. Well, Friday comes and once Kathy is off work, she finds it strange that she hasn't heard from Jennifer all day. At this point, Kathy hadn't talked with Jennifer since Wednesday night, so she starts reaching out to Jennifer's dad and her grandparents and all other other family members that she feels Jennifer may have contacted. She finds out that Jennifer did talk with her dad and her aunt that Thursday, and this gives her some relief. Okay, it's only been one day then since Jennifer had last spoken with family, but then Friday night comes. And Jennifer's Aunt Lori receives a message on her answering machine. It's from Joe, Joey's dad. And Joe leaves this message saying he's looking for Jennifer, that her tax return money was put into their bank account because remember, Jennifer doesn't have her own bank account. And he just wants to see where Jennifer may have gone so he can get that money to her. Now, that same Friday night that Joe leaves the message on Lori's answering machine, Joey is having a bonfire with his friends. Jennifer's cousin, Jeffrey, showed up at the bonfire with his girlfriend, and then there's also another couple that comes. And Joey's the fifth will because when this was planned, Jennifer was supposed to be here, but she's not here. So, of course, Jeffrey is like, where's Jennifer? And Joey blows off the question, just saying, oh, she's at another friend's house. We're fighting. We may have broken up and she went off on her own with her own friends. At this point of Friday night, Jennifer's family starts freaking out. No one had heard from Jennifer. Joey is telling his friends that she ran off with her own friends. And then Joey's dad is calling their aunt looking for Jennifer. What is going on? They are frantically calling the Benton home landline and calling Joey's phone, but no one is picking up. All the calls ring into silence on the other end. Stomachs are turning and hearts are dropping because this mixed with all the other red flags just doesn't sit right. 
So is she missing for two days by this point? At this point, no one has talked to her since Thursday afternoon. And this is Friday night. So basically a little more than 24 hours. Yeah. Okay. Jennifer's mom doesn't know what to do. So she hops into her car and just starts driving. She's just looking for herself. This reminds me of Angie Dodge's mom from episode one. Just like that desperation of a mother, it seems like oftentimes they feel like they just need to get out there and do something. Sitting in the house waiting for answers is just too painful. I know it's like surprising that because I mean, only missing about 24 hours. Yeah, I don't know. they had a bad feeling like a right away especially because jennifer stayed in contact with them every day like it wasn't likely to go without talking to her because she's just usually just at the benton home alone with her daughter while they're all working i mean you were about to call the cops on me when you couldn't get a hold of me for eight hours Uh, exactly (laughs) when you talk to someone every day and then they don't talk to you it's like weird yeah yeah (laughs) I I, just I was about to have them I, do a welfare check. I just don't know if I, I mean, I don't know if her mom just had that feeling like of concern. I didn't. I don't know if I would like go out searching for someone right then at that point. But yeah, I but mean, I, of course, I bet if they I were like in a bad relationship. Situation. Yeah. Yeah. Where, like, you kind of already have this feeling they might be in danger, even though no one thinks this is going to happen to them. Yeah. It's like once, yeah, I wouldn't know because I haven't been in this situation either, but it does seem like it would make it scarier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But finally, Casey and Jennifer's middle sister, Heather, gets in touch with Joey. And he's like, look, I don't know where Jennifer is. We broke up. What do you want me to say? Here's what I do know. We got into an argument Thursday night. She wanted to go to the gas station and get dropped off with her own friends. I don't know where she went. She just got into a white car and they drove off. This is the first time he tells this story. I mean, regardless of the fact that he told his friends at the bonfire earlier that Friday night that Jennifer left on her own from his house with some friends, but okay. After Joey talks with Heather, him and his dad, Joe, decide to head over to Jennifer's aunt's home. Lori lived just a couple miles down the road from the Bentons, and this search was on for Jennifer and Adriana. Joe claimed that he had to carry his drunk son over to Lori's house because Even though Joey had been drinking at his bonfire that night, they really wanted to help look for her. So they say. While at Lori's house, Joey tells her that Jennifer got into a white car. And Lori is like, oh, I totally know who that is. Jennifer had these friends. They're a couple and they have a white car. Well, my aunt says, well, I know who that is. And my sister had some friends that she had actually seen earlier that week. Um, it was a couple that lived there in Cross Plains. And it was Jennifer's really only girlfriend at the time. And Joey was like, yeah, it was probably them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he's probably like, yeah, yeah, you do know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you're on the right track. Keep going. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
Yeah. So my mom's like, okay, you know, and they start to try and get in touch with this couple. And, um, you know, they can't get in touch with them. My mom knows where she works. She works at the local Dollar General, the mm-hmm. only other little store there in town. So they go up there. Those people are out of town. They're at some races. And so my mom leaves them a ton of messages on their phone. Like, Joey says that Jennifer's probably with y'all. Like, we haven't heard from her. We're panicking. Like, please call us back. Well, they show up at my mom's house on Saturday. And oh. this is what prompts us to report Jennifer and Adriana missing because they told my mom if he said that, He's lying and something's wrong. We haven't really seen Jennifer much at all since November. As search efforts turned up nothing that Friday night, Jennifer's family all rally around Kathy and her daughters coming to their home and spending the night there with them. And as we know, the following day, Saturday, Kathy gets in touch with that friend of Jennifer's who tells her that she was not the one in the white car to pick her up. As soon as Kathy confirms that this friend did not pick up Jennifer and Adriana, she panics. Immediately, she calls the Robertson County Sheriff's Department to file a missing person report on March 27, 2004. Once an officer shows up at the home and takes down Kathy's story and hears out her concern, they head over to the Benton family home to talk with Joey. After speaking with the Benton family, this officer returns to Kathy's home. Things had felt a little strange at the Bentons. Officers were just trying to ask if Joey might have an idea of where Jennifer could be. I mean, this was his girlfriend up until the night she went missing. But Joey and his family refuse to talk much with them, telling them that they can come back and search when they have a search warrant you know, can we come in and look around, you know, kind of thing. And they, yeah. he wouldn't let him in. And so that officer comes back to my mom's house and says, I got a really bad feeling like something's wrong. Oh. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. So at that point, that's whenever they put a, a bolo, be on the lookout for Jennifer and Adriana, and things start to just escalate from there. Now, that weekend, Joey brings all of Jennifer and Adriana's stuff to Kathy. He finally gives her the full story the one he gave to police. Because when he shows up, Kathy is like, okay, come on, Joey, what happened? I need to know where my daughter and my granddaughter are. And Joey says that when he came home that Thursday afternoon from work, Jennifer and Adriana are locked in the room. Casey believes the only reason they would be locked in their room would most likely be because they were trying to stay away from something going on outside of the room, or maybe someone outside of their room. That night, they decide to go on a drive, and during that drive, an argument sparks up. Things start to get heated. With that, they decide to break up. So he told my mom that they went on this drive to talk about things, you know, that had happened, um, you know, the night before with fighting with his family and whatnot, and that they got into an argument and they went back to his parents' house and sat in the driveway and she refused to get out and go into his parents' home. Uh, She wanted to move back into the barn, to the shed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, it's getting springtime. I mean, March, the weather's kind of iffy. So I actually looked up the weather at the time. And there, on this day, it was historically kind of a warmer day. But the night still around this time got, like, down to freezing. Okay. Um, so she wanted to move back into the barn, and he was like, not for it, you know? Mm-hmm. So they were fighting about that and fighting about, according to him, okay, fighting about just right. things that had happened the night before. Um, so who knows if what happened with the doctor's appointments came up, you know? Um, but they were fighting and decided to break up, and she said, take me to the gas station. Basically, Joey is saying that all of the sudden... Jennifer asks to be taken to a gas station. But is this believable? Because when Joey shows up at Kathy's with Jennifer and Adriana's stuff, there are big red flags. First off, he just hauls all of this over in a few black trash bags. Like, okay, Joey, classy. But what's inside the bags is what sets off alarm bells. Adriana's coat and her medicine. Why in the world would Jennifer take off abruptly without items that her two-year-old daughter absolutely needed? No car seat, no diaper bag, none of Jennifer's medicine, their toothbrushes, um, coats. Yep. It's just crazy. They, It's like they... Like no one's going to have just have you drop them and their two-year-old off at a gas station, no plans have talked to no one and like you don't even have your kid's coat with you no absolutely not so the coat is actually one of the things that was like a huge red flag to my mom whenever joey brought like all of their belongings and these black trash bags um you know my mom was like there's no way if jennifer planned to stay gone like if she was like we're breaking up or i don't want to even be around my family like they've said and tried to make it seem in the past that she didn't want to be around Jennifer's side of the family. If that's even the case, like Jennifer's not going to leave without any of their things. No. You know? So the story doesn't stop there. And like, to me, any smart criminal in their brain that's making up a story would stop there. Exactly. You know, because, okay. But they're all so dumb. Yes. There and and you know that gives me a little bit of hope. Yes, <laughs> like that maybe we'll find some answers one day because you know, like okay, you gave way too many details and tried to make it sound really realistic, and so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, he drops them off at this gas station, and they get into a white car. The car comes up quite a bit, and it's. I'll be real honest with you. It's kind of frustrating how people get fixated on this car. Now, I I understand it completely because it is inconsistent. He did originally say to the first officer to respond and do the welfare check that took his statement, he did say a white four-door Mustang or Camaro maybe. That police officer was actually fired. So then there's a complaint against him that... He filed a false report. He put false information in the report that he did not and would not say that because Joey knows cars very well. He actually owned two Mustangs that sat in his driveway at the time. So the police officer got fired because the Bentons complained about it? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes. 
it was it's insane my mom actually went to that officer's hearing to testify on his behalf thursday after he drops him off at this gas station in this white ultimately his story turns into a white older model four-door car that he cannot identify okay um he doesn't see who is in the car he doesn't see which way they go um he doesn't recognize them and no one sees jennifer adriana or joey at that gas station that evening even the gas station attendant who knew jennifer personally okay so so he supposedly drops them off and waits like 10 minutes and then this car shows up they get into the back of it that's why he says he assumes it's a four-door car because they got in the back and no one got out to let them in like if it was a two-seater that you had to move the seat up Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he says that he went across the street and sat in this church parking lot to make sure they were okay. And he left before he could see which direction they went. So that's how Thursday night ended by his account. Now, Joey also says that before they made it to the gas station, they did stop at the grocery store down the road so that Jennifer could use the phone inside to call whoever she was going to be meeting. Well, this is what Joey suspects Jennifer was doing when they, quote-unquote, stopped at the grocery store. But this story doesn't exactly add up easily based on the timeline. And even 17 years later, it is very difficult to corroborate and prove or disprove anything because it's all he said this, or she said this, or I can't remember, or, you know, you know, so it's all that. It's like, no one saw them at the gas station. They supposedly stopped at this food value right in the middle of Cross Plains, which was the only grocery store. There was a Dollar General too, but this grocery was like the only grocery and it it closed at 9 p.m. And Joey's story is, is that he dropped him off around this gas station around 930. So just before that, like a couple miles down the road, maybe three miles down the road to get to the interstate at the Exxon, where he says he dropped him off, they stopped at this grocery store. And he says he assumes to go in and use the phone. Well, no one saw her that night. There were three workers present Hmm. and no one saw her. Also, they the grocery closed at nine o'clock, so it it barely barely could line up with his story. Yeah, like maybe they showed up right as the store was closing. You know, maybe they you know she tried to go into the store, but it was closed. You know, yeah. So according to him, she asked to stop at this grocery, and and he assumes to use the phone but no one can place her there no one saw their vehicle in town no one saw him um and then not only that but on the way to the grocery from his house they would have passed my aunt's house where Mm -hmm. there was a key left out for her right so Um, she could have just gone there yes and then from the grocery to the gas station is our home where I lived and my mom lived at the time. So then they would have passed by our home too, okay? And there's zero record, no record at all of her making plans with anyone. Think about it. Like if some person's gonna, she had to have made plans for someone to pick her up. Exactly. So there were no phone calls. No one who knew her was like, yeah, she asked me to come pick her up, but she never showed up. Like there was 
nothing like that. There were no phone records to show. There was no one who knew her that could corroborate the story. So that's why I say it is a very well thought out, fabricated story. And it makes me believe that they had a couple days to come up with it. And we can talk about how many days, but they came up with it to place him in cross planes in case someone saw his car. Now, I don't know why. Maybe mm. the picnic that they supposedly had was in cross planes. Uh-huh. So maybe he had to be like, well, you know, like I was in cross planes whenever whatever happened, happened, you know, right, on like Thursday. I was there so, that night. So if someone sees me or saw my car, like what, what if they say that, you know, and they're like, well, we can say you took her to the gas station, you know, so... I'm just theorizing at this point, like, why would he make up this elaborate story, you know, okay, off the interstate that could place them anywhere and just sends law enforcement down a rabbit trail. And the story doesn't end here because Joey goes on to say that Thursday wasn't actually the last time he saw Jennifer. He says that she returned to his home on Friday early in the day. He was home early from work, the day after Jennifer is last confirmed alive and well by anyone in her family. So he was still working in Franklin, Kentucky at the time. And, um, you know, he was riding to work with my cousin. My cousin doesn't think he actually went to work that day. And this kind of seems true because another friend of Joey's and that friend's girlfriend drove Joey home around midday, like 11 or noon, because their job got finished early. Okay. So Joey's like at home. His parents aren't there. His dad was actually in court and can be verified that day. And his mom was supposedly at work. Mm -hmm. Um. So Joey comes home and is alone and Jennifer shows up in this same white four-door car without Adriana um, to get some of her things and to get the tax return money. And he says she gets a couple things, a change of clothes, he says, and the baby's car seat because she left without it the night before. And again, a well thought out lie. I'm like, well, You can't make it seem like she left without the baby's car seat. You know, she wouldn't normally do that. So, in my opinion, they have to make it seem like she left of her own accord, you know. Right. Um, So, he says she comes in to get a couple things and asks for her tax return money. And he's like, my parents aren't home. So, sorry, they can't give it to you. So, she says, okay. And says she'll be back the next day on Saturday. And on that ride home, this is very important, the friend and girlfriend that drove him home on Friday, we talked to them after the fact, and they said that he was acting so strange, even more strange than normal. Apparently, he's strange on a normal basis, but so strange, she said she was terrified to have him in the car. Remember, Joey returns the girl's things to Kathy full of stuff like Adriana's coat and her medicine. Again, why wouldn't Jennifer have taken these items that they desperately needed? And while reiterating the story to Kathy that day, this is when he claims Jennifer returned on Friday. The end of his story is a weird part in this case, since Joe, Joey's dad, calls Lori that evening looking for Jennifer so that he can give her the tax return. Remember that? 
Why would Joe be looking for her Friday night if she just told Joey Friday morning that she would be back the very next day to grab that tax return? Yeah, so her tax refund money was expected, and she knew this, in her or in the bank account of his parents on Friday. And everything happened and went down regarding their disappearance in the couple days before that. So she was never there to get her refund money. Um, You know, it comes up in Joey's story, uh, which we can talk about. But Mm -hmm. they did, after their disappearance, um, Joe and Cindy did write my mom a check for $500. And my mom kind of put it up for safekeeping because she, you know, you don't want to believe your daughter's about to stay missing. So, right. right. So she just puts it up and is like, well, Jennifer will want us whenever we do find her, you know? Yes. And 30 days later, my mom goes, she's like, you know what? I should deposit this. Um, you know, things, we haven't heard anything. She's still missing at that point. Mm-hmm. And my mom goes to deposit it and they had places stop payment on it. Um, so when my mom reached back out to them and was like, hey, like, y'all place a stop payment on this. I went to deposit it. And they're like, it's our policy to place a stop payment on anything that's out there more than 30 days. And no, we're not going to write another one. Oh, you're like, okay. Yeah, uh, thanks. So um, like, almost and, got it back, but did not. Yeah, and my mom will actually tell and has written down, I have a lot of her old files and old notes, which are very helpful rehashing and reinvestigating everything 17 years later. And when she met with Joe and Cindy at, it was at a local gas station there in town, whenever she met with them uh, to get this check, they actually asked her, who should we write it out to? And my mom I mean, can you imagine sitting in front of people, your daughter's missing and it's Jennifer's money, you right. know, so they're like, who do I write it out to? Like, what do they want us to say? Write it out to Kathy, please, because yes. it's not my money. It's Jennifer. So do you know something? Like, do you know that Jennifer's not going to be coming back? Exactly. Because you would That's think they of- would just write it to Jennifer and be like, oh, you know, if they thought she really just like broke up with their kid, they'd be like, here's yeah. Jennifer's check. Yes, exactly. So my mom kind of always got like a weird feeling from them asking that, which it could just be a normal thing mm-hmm. for all we know. You know, they're like, well, should we write it out to you? Like, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, like what um, do we do? But still, red flag but for still, sure. still, it was a red flag, yeah. Especially just with everything else. You know, sometimes the red flags are small, but when you put them all together, when you, them all, it's, yes. you know, turns into a big red flag. This is an elaborate story, and many people get caught up in it. Now, I do want you to keep your mind open, because what if? What if this story somehow happened to be true? We want to be looking for Jennifer and Adriana down all avenues. No path is off limits. So sure, She could have gone off in some white car with some people we are unaware of, and she met with danger. Maybe. Could she have ran off on her own? Possibly, and that would honestly be the family's best case scenario. They wish that was true, but we know it is most likely not the case. 
like you heard Casey say earlier, she gets a little frustrated with everyone being so wrapped up in the fact that Joey changes his story multiple times surrounding the white four-door car. And honestly, I'm just going to say it. It's probably annoying because Joey's story is a bunch of bullcrap. I mean, I think. <laughs> like I said, I don't really know if his story is true or not. Sure, it's an avenue to keep open in your mind just in case. But all signs lead me to believe that Joey and his family are full of shit. There is not one photo or video caught of Joey driving around with Jennifer that Thursday evening. There is also not a single sighting or eyewitness that spots them. Not one. By the time police figured that something may be very wrong in this case, it had been a few days. But they wanted to follow Joey's story and see where it would take them. So they go to the gas station. And the attendant working, who personally knew Jennifer, never saw them. And as for the CCTV footage at that gas station, well, I'll let Casey explain that to you. No, there's absolutely not. Other than his parents saying, yes, they lost or they left our house. Um, there's no corroboration. There are no surveillance videos at the gas station because they recorded over them every 24 hours. Oh my um, gosh. I hate that. Yes. Um, that, that should be a thing. Like gas stations are so prevalent in these types of cases. Like people just, they, you need, I'm sure things are different now. No, they're not. It happens uh, so often. It is horrible. It's frustrating. Like why have CCTV Um, footage if you're just going to record over it? Exactly. And so, yes, by the time law enforcement, like actually was like, okay, something may have happened. And they go there to check this out. It's already been recorded over. Oh. Like, so they can't disprove no, the story. They can't no, they prove can't. that she was there. No, they can't prove it. They can't disprove it. So now, law enforcement is literally. There's a lot of people like really mad in our case about the way law enforcement has handled this case. Okay, mm-hmm. and <laughs> our family is like front and foremost like on opinions when it comes to how the case is handled and I can tell you that absolutely there are things that should have and maybe would have if there were other people involved on the case like that could have been done differently but you know unfortunately and this is what sucks about these kind of cases is is that they have to follow the rules and they have to stay within the red tape and they have to do things according to protocol and they can't, you know, infringe on people's rights, even the people who are guilty. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to be on our side of it and be like, yeah, like you guys need to do more, but then also be grateful as hell that they are even helping. Like who else is going to help? Now, let me backtrack for a minute. Let's go back to the last day anyone in Jennifer and Adriana's family ever spoke with Jennifer. The day Casey believes whatever happened must have happened this day. Remember, Joey Benton was at work 45 minutes away. His mom, Cindy Benton, is supposedly at work an hour away. 
And his dad, Joe Benton, well, he's not able to be placed. Joey rode to work with Jennifer's cousin, Jeffrey. And halfway through the workday, Joey receives this phone call. And immediately following this call, he needs to leave work right now. And he needs Jeffrey to take him home. So after Jennifer and Adriana disappears, my mom talks to the foreman on the job that Joey was working at in Franklin, Kentucky. And this guy tells my mom, and so does my cousin Jeffrey, that Joey received a phone call from someone and had to leave abruptly from work on Thursday, midday. And my cousin says, which I've talked to him recently, there's like a huge divide in my family. We can talk about that more. But there's a huge divide in my family because of everything that happened with Jennifer and Adriana and him being so close to Joey at the time of their disappearance. Mm -hmm. And But I've talked to my cousin recently, and he told me that, yeah, like Joey walked up to me on the job site and was like, man, we got to go right now. And... I mean, you would think if someone walks up to you at work and is like that you that rode with you, you know, and is like, we got to go. You'd be like, why? What's right? Like, what? you know, is everyone OK? Like anything. Like, why do we have to go from work all of a sudden? So who called Joey at work? No one knows. No. And I've asked law enforcement as well, you know, who called him. And I'm trying to get more details around that. I just, I don't have any details. I don't know who called him. I don't know if it was my sister calling because of something going on in the house, like with his dad or his mom or something happened with the baby. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it was one of his family members calling, like, come get this girl out of my house. Like the arguing continued and things got worse while he was at work. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Um, All I know is, is that she told her dad Joey's on his way home. We're going to go on a picnic. And so when she talked to her dad, they already had plans for him to be on his way home. So it kind of makes me think that Jennifer is the one that called him. So it's after the disappearance is discovered that Jennifer's family finds out about this phone call. And they ask Jeffrey, did you see anything weird that day? Did he say anything to you? But as we know, Jeffrey says that he didn't. Now, we also know that since Joey is seen at work this Thursday and police say they confirmed Cindy at work, that only leaves Joe to possibly be within the home that day with Jennifer and Adriana. But remember, Joe just can't remember where he was that day. And what would even lead us to believe anyone was in the home with Jennifer before Joey came to pick her up for that quote-unquote picnic? Well, Jennifer's dad, who spoke to her on the phone for two hours and was one of the last people to ever talk with her, he said that Jennifer and Adriana were not home alone that day. There is one really important detail that I cannot leave out that's in my mom's old notes. And her dad, in the phone call with him, he also says that he heard the TV playing in the background. And I believe he says cartoons. And he also said that someone talked to Jennifer 
while he was on the phone. And she said, stop. I'm talking to my dad. So she was not home alone. Yes. That's what, according to her dad, he spoke with her. And he says that it was a woman's voice. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, was Cindy at work? I don't know. Was Joey's sister visiting the house? Possibly. Mm-hmm. You know, I there's just a couple of people who have access to this home. Right. You know? And so, and who's she going to say, stop, I'm talking to my dad, you know, like, it's not going to be someone that is just visiting, you know, if there was someone there to visit her, which they bring up in the old topics forum, like, oh, she had tons of visitors all the time. First of all, no, she didn't. Second, if she did have a visitor, she wouldn't say, stop, I'm talking to my dad. Exactly. And it doesn't sound like she did have a lot of visitors at that home. No, no. She had to be taken places to meet people. Right. You know, so anyways, those are the details of Thursday that are confirmed. So what could have happened to Jennifer and Adriana? Well, the story about the day of their disappearance pretty much ends here. I've given you every single detail that we know at this point about that specific week. We are coming up on 18 years since the disappearance of Jennifer and Adriana Wicks. And in a case like this, where there is literally zero evidence pointing to where they could be, leads are hard to come by. If the Benton story is true then we are just waiting on that one tip that may lead somewhere. But if the Benton story is a lie, which, honestly, I lean more this way personally, then we are basically waiting for one of them to talk, for the story to slip out. In these cases where, you know, information is very limited, like you're looking at then just time. And you're looking at, you know, possibly someone becoming ill. I hate to say it, but like, you know, someone being on their deathbed and confessing or if someone killed, you know, killed again or does something like this again, like, okay, then maybe they slip up with that, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and somehow it leads to answers here or maybe they told someone and that's kind of along the lines of, what we're thinking, you know, Joey was a young guy. He was 21 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe his parents were more seasoned at that time and could keep their mouth shut. And, you know, like younger kids, especially hot-headed ones like him, you know, they're not going to keep their mouth shut. Mm-hmm. So we believe that there's probably some people out there that he's told. So what has this investigation accomplished in the last 18 years? Well, We know there are no sightings of Jennifer and Joey driving around with Adriana that day. We know that police couldn't prove or disprove Joey's story because CCTV footage is the absolute most infuriating thing. Please stop recording over footage after 24 hours. We are living in a world full of technology these days. 
there is definitely room for you to keep video longer than 24 hours. Use the cloud. I don't know, but for the love of everything, if you use CCTV footage at your business, A, make sure it's working, and B, stop getting rid of the footage. Welcome to my TED Talk. Thank you. Now, without literally a sliver of evidence, police have been at somewhat of a dead end. They went through and spoke with everyone they thought may have information. The Bentons were questioned. Jeffrey, Jennifer's cousin, he was also questioned. And the Bentons even agreed to a search of their home. But this was a very basic search because law enforcement didn't have a warrant. They've never had any probable cause to say that it's likely that something happened to Jennifer and Adriana in the Benton home. And the law is the law. Officers can't infringe on their rights. And with no evidence, there is no warrant. But like I said, they agreed to a search. With them in the home, of course, monitoring where police were able to look. And if they asked them to leave... Well, then officers have to go. Think about it. There's no surveillance. There's no evidence of foul play. There's n- there's nothing. So yeah. what? I mean, what, what do you do? Is it that, yeah. What do people want them to do? Um, you know, the only thing that they can do, and this is what they've told me, is just collaborate stories. And hopefully one day someone tells them something that leads them to actual physical evidence. We've never been able to, you know, go to the district attorney who issues them uh, or the judge and say, you know, we need a warrant and turn their property upside down. You know, search Mm -hmm. every nook and cranny, you know, use forensics, you know, crime labs and whatnot like you see on TV. Like it's never gotten to that point. It's. There's never been a sign of foul play. And if you think about it, from the time that whatever happened, happened, which I believe to be on Thursday, that was the last time anyone in our family ever spoke to her. And the night of the, quote, fight happening that he dropped them off to Saturday evening, whenever he said, you got to come back if you want to search with a warrant. And then they didn't actually go into the property until Sunday, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's three and a half days. There's a lot of woods around the the small house that they lived in, you know, that Jennifer and Adriana lived in. It was sitting on an acre. Um, And, you know, it's under a bunch of trees, like canopy trees. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a small acre. But then right next to it is five acres. And that five acres is where they were building a house at the time. Oh, okay. So you'll see that in the pictures, too. They have a very large cabin, a ton of outbuildings and shops and whatnot. And... Um, you know, you can see all that there. So that's sitting on five acres. And then right behind their five acres, there's about 51, 52 acres that the rest of their family owns. But I'll tell you that we searched that 50 something acres. You guys did did. it. Yeah, we did it a couple of months ago. Law enforcement, um, walked through it. This is unconfirmed by my family because we don't have documentation, but we have no reason to believe that you know, they lie about doing uh, a foot search, but they supposedly walked through it. You know, it's a grid search, which is three, three feet apart, you know, walking through there uh, with 80 something volunteers, they said, um, from the police academy in Nashville. And so they supposedly walked through it. And then we got permission from members of the Benton family 
I don't know, maybe like two and a half months ago um, this year. And we went out there and searched it again um, outside of law enforcement. So just a private search. And there wasn't really anything. There was a spot that we had cadaver dogs out there from the Q Center. Um, they're a search team that comes out and helps missing persons cases. And um, there were probably like four or five dogs who alerted on human remains out there. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing. Um, so, you know, then I'm thinking, okay, these dogs, we have one of the masters, that's what they're called, of these cadaver dogs. We have one of these people saying, my dog only hits on human remains. Now, some cadaver dogs, you'll have to do your research, but they're trained with like, different types of bones okay not necessarily human bones so just like a polygraph test cadaver dogs are alone not enough for a search warrant believe it or not so even if they hit on human remains out there we're like hey hey you know there's human remains out here the dogs say there are go out there and dig no one wanted to and that's the most that they found in their searches of the benton property and home Casey and her family are extremely grateful to the extended family members of the Bentons who have allowed them to search that 50 acres of woods. But as you heard, so far, there is nothing. Jennifer's family continues to conduct private searches around the Cross Plains area, but to no avail. And the six acres that the Benton family was building on and where they lived, well, Jennifer's family have never been on that property. Thankfully, police have. Law enforcement took cadaver dogs and Casey says they had also searched with ground penetrating radar, which is a device that is used to search under concrete and ground to detect pockets of air in the ground where something may be buried. Law enforcement has searched the home and property four times. Again, every time with the Benton's permission. And these searches didn't start till many days after Jennifer and Adriana went missing. In fact, during the search with the cadaver dogs, it's alleged that the Bentons were seen playing with the dogs and talking with the handlers who had the dogs. Many people find this strange. Could this have affected the dog's performance, gotten them distracted? I don't know. One search was called off after the media showed up. The Bentons had requested that no media come to this specific search. People came from out of town. They took time off work. People were gathering and coming together for this search. But when the media shows up, the Bentons blame Jennifer's mom, Kathy, saying she called the media, which was not true and they call off the search. Everyone was devastated. Time and resources were wasted. I would be in the media if I were not guilty and someone went missing from my home, I would be in the media. And, you know, I don't know, it's such a fine line because people talk about, like, the crazy, you know, scenarios that have happened in the past where, like, killers come back to the place where they, you know, put whoever or did whatever they did and they try and be you know as normal looking as possible so I don't know I know easy you know it's easy to say what you would do but then it's like 
I don't know. Either way, I mean, maybe it's a bad case for them. I'm not sure. But it's just, I would have expected some kind of support, some kind of even their own private attempts. Okay, so remember Jennifer's cousin, Jeffrey. This is Lori's son, Kathy's sister's kid. And Jeffrey was the one who introduced Jennifer to Joey. Joey was one of his best friends. Well, Jeffrey says that on Friday, he didn't go to work. This is why Joey rides home with those other friends halfway through the day. This is the day after Jennifer is last heard from. So let's say something did happen that Thursday evening. Who drove Joey to work that morning? Was it one of his parents? He worked 45 minutes away. If something happened and Joey or his family members needed to get rid of evidence, there is this whole stretch where anything could be discarded. And Joey's work was across state lines in a completely different jurisdiction. I do find that, you know, question you just asked is very, very important because, you know, if whatever happens happened on Thursday night, like, Franklin, Kentucky is a possible location, you know, if, right. if, if oh, it's hard to say, but like if bodies are in a car and you're driving out of state to Franklin, Kentucky, like that might be the last place people look. So it could be, it could have crossed their minds. Yes. You know? Like his parents took him to work that day or. And then went and took care of whatever they had to take yes. care of, you know. Well. Jeffrey was also the one to take Joey home midday that Thursday after Joey received that weird phone call. And remember, Casey told us that Jeffrey says Joey never told him why he needed to go home so suddenly. And on the hour car ride home, they didn't discuss the phone call, which I find this so strange. But I don't really know what I think about Jeffrey. Maybe he was just a young kid at the time who didn't quite know how to really tell his story. Or maybe he didn't really believe there was anything suspicious going on with Joey. This was one of his best friends. And to Jeffrey's defense, I do find it highly unlikely that someone, friend or not, would tell you if they did something dark to another person, let alone a two-year-old little girl, and the fact that these girls were Jeffrey's blood, his family, and he was close with them. That's a really hard and loaded question because, you know, like, we don't want to believe, no one wants to believe anything like that about their family member, but, you know, whenever Jennifer and Adriana first disappeared, he continued to hang out with Joey, Um, you know. Which is very strange. like he, it is. It's, it's very strange. And, you know, my mom and everyone is coming at him. And you have to think he's a, he's about a year younger than Jennifer. So he would have been 20 at the time. So he's a young dude. He's hot headed. You know, he's out partying and stuff and just wants to have a good time. You know, he doesn't think that his best friend had anything to do with this. You know, he doesn't want to believe that. And that's That's a common theme between people that I'm talking to that are associated with Joey at that time. Now, when I talk to them, including Jeffrey, they're like, you know, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have questioned more. I didn't know that it would go this far. 
So from my family's point of view, like my mom and my grandma, me and my other sister, you know, we're like, you know, pissed off about the situation. And we're like, why aren't you helping? Why aren't you, you know, telling us everything that you know? And so it's probably come across in the past. And I'm sure my mom has said, like, he's not cooperating. He's not telling us everything he knows. Because to us, that's what it seemed like and what it looked like. You know, he, he wasn't on our side in the beginning. And that sucks for him. I know that sucks looking back, but it's the truth. This tragedy would end up causing ripple effects throughout Jennifer's family. Kathy and her sister had always been close. Remember, Kathy's two daughters lived with Lori when she needed to take that promotion in Nevada. But the pressure of this situation would tear them apart. Lori's support was strong for her sister in the beginning. I mean, Kathy had lost a child and a grandchild and she couldn't find them. But Lori and Jeffrey maintained their relationship with the Bentons because they didn't want to see them for who they might be. And Kathy grew frustrated. Her family introduced her daughter to this boy and they wouldn't cut ties. I would be very frustrated too. This is a situation where I would expect anyone who supported me to cut ties with those I'm suspicious of, especially when it comes to something bad happening to my child. Jeffrey also had to talk to law enforcement multiple times, and as he would get called back in, his family grew irritated, like, okay, we don't know anything, we've told you everything, and we are sick of being asked. Then, in 2013, Jennifer and Adriana's cases were reclassified as homicide cases instead of missing persons. Casey says that their family has never been told any information as to why this happened. From their point of view, it was reclassified for no obvious reason. But in the press conference, it is stated that there was new information to lead law enforcement into making this decision. This information that they may have has never been shared with the family. What was great about having the case upgraded to homicide was that law enforcement were able to re-interview everyone, go through the case again. And Casey says that all of the main players were called back in. And when Jeffrey was brought in yet again, his family was done. They were angry. And with that, they lawyered up and have refused to communicate any further. The family bond broke right then and Lori and Kathy have never been in contact since. I mean, Casey has talked with Jeffrey recently, but these are the only two who have communicated. Okay, that's weird. Literally, it is very weird. I find this whole situation extremely odd. I don't know what to think about it or how to feel about it. But I do know that I personally would feel very hurt if my sister stops supporting me and then stops cooperating with law enforcement when my literal child and grandchild are missing. But 
everyone does handle a trauma like this differently. And I've never been through anything like this. So I guess I can't even say I know how I would react. But, you know, being on the defense, but it definitely makes them look somewhat suspicious to me. Casey and her family aren't wanting them to cooperate because they see them as guilty. They just think there may be something they don't know that they know that may lead to a clue. It is very common for someone to have information that they don't even realize is important. You know, and and speaking to my cousin recently, I mean, I can tell you that was a really hard conversation. And I mean, talking to him, I don't believe he knows anything. I don't think, you know, he helped in any sort of way or he knows anything of like significance. I really feel like he loved my sister. Like they were close, you know, I feel like if he knew he would have told, but just the direction that it went is just kind of like, like, come on y'all. Like why? Like, yeah. Like just help us. Like just help, you know, like if anyone should have to help, it's you, you know? And so I get being, embarrassed of being associated with someone who could have potentially done that I get feeling guilty I get regret I get all of that but like come on you know mm-hmm. it's just it's a hard thing I I don't think he knows more but I think that he could potentially help piece it together but you know he won't So after the case was upgraded to being a homicide Kathy hired a private investigator and he is still on the case with them today. They have had one other private investigator before this. Their current private investigator and Casey have helped the family build relationships with people as the years go on. They've been able to work with the Benton's extended family, old friends of Joey's, and people who have changed their mind over the years. Casey is also doing a lot of the investigation herself. She has helped her mom take over in the search efforts and she can't get it off her mind. She follows up on every lead she's found. She's doing groundwork, talking with neighbors, family, and friends. You know, I get positivity and I get, you know, wanting to hope for the best and wanting to, you know, hope that they she just wanted to disappear on her own you know and she was protecting her baby maybe it from the Bentons um you know maybe she was running from my mom and and just hated every other family member like I get it like thinking all of these things and people wanting to just think about every theory possible but 17 years later and no sign yeah just there's just no way yeah it's not I agree and so you know, it's a, it's hard to say that. I, you know, people always say, don't give up hope. And I was like, I can't, I won't give up hope. But at this point, my hope has kind of shifted to answers. Yes. Like, it's not that I, you know, would I love for my sister to be living on a remote island somewhere and just walking around barefoot, eating out of the woods? Heck yeah. yeah. I would love that. Right. But it's just not possible. Like their social securities would have been used even if they were in a domestic violence shelter and they went underground. Like there are ways for law enforcement to navigate that 
find them, look up their socials. If insurance was used, you know, there's things like that. Like she didn't have any money. Like that's impossible. I I was going to say it takes like a lot of money and resources to disappear without a trace. And it is not something that almost anyone can do. So I, I, I agree with you. Especially not someone like planning to do it. Like this sounded like a spur of the moment kind of thing that happened. You know, like I could understand if, you know, weeks before, like she was acting shady and was like on the phone secretly outside. No one knew who she was talking to, you know, or she was like, can you take me here and dropped off for hours? And then, you know, I could understand that. But like, there was nothing like that. She thought she was in a happy relationship. She had actually seen a doctor recently, got off her birth control because she wanted to have another baby with the dude. Not another one, but a baby with him. She wanted to have another baby. And so it's like, no, someone who's planning something this elaborate to disappear, it's not a spur of the moment thing. No, definitely not. A big theory that has been circulated is that maybe Adriana was sold on some sort of black market. People believe that while something may have happened to Jennifer in a fit of rage or an argument, that it may have been much harder to hurt a little two-year-old girl, but they still would have needed to get rid of Adriana to align with the story that Jennifer took her and ran off. So is it possible that Adriana may still be out there? I mean, you never know. Crazier things have happened. And that's another reason that Casey wants the case spread so far and wide, so that photos of Adriana will be seen, regardless of the scenario being a slim chance. Like I said, you never know. I'm not 100% on that, and I don't. I don't lean towards that opinion personally. Right. I feel like whatever happened happened in a fit of rage or by accident or whatever, like in the heat of an argument. And so I feel like if it did happen, it would have happened to the both of them. They, that person would have been crazy enough to, they were to do it to one person, an adult or not. They could turn around in the heat of a moment and do it to a child. And it happens every day. Yeah. Okay. But if that's the case, you know, if Adriana is out there somewhere, you know, if my niece is out there and she just doesn't know who she is or where she came from, like, first of love, like, people have got to share her face. Yes. Like, I agree. To, like, they, more people need to know. Media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not even know. And yeah. She could be like, hell, that was a lot like me. You right. know, or one of her best friends could be like, you were adopted, right? And then she just looked into it, you know? Now, do I believe that that's a possibility? I really don't. I think that's really far-fetched, you know? But, hey. You never know. know. (laughs) So what can we do to help in an 18-year-old cold case of a young mother and child, only 21 and 2 years old when they went missing? You can follow Casey's Facebook page, which is called Justice for Jennifer and Adriana Wicks. Follow Casey's TikTok at Casey.Marcella, Casey, C-A-S-E-Y dot M-A-R-C-E-L-L-A. And if you feel like you know anything, please, please reach out. 
Casey has set up ways that you can anonymously report a tip. Yeah, everyone can follow our Facebook page. It's Justice for Jennifer and Adriana Wicks. And I post on there regularly. I've put out some some new content recently with like, we got a PO box and a phone number for anonymous tips. So if anyone knows anything, they can write in anonymously. They don't even have to put their name on it. They can just write down things that we can check into, call and leave a voicemail, distort your voice, however you want. <laughs> like yes. just call and just give us any information that you might know, no matter how big or small. Today, I had someone message me after I posted a TikTok video and they said, you know what? She was at Food Lion on Wednesday. I saw her at Food Lion. Oh, really? Because I didn't know that, you know? So, like, yes, I am ready to, to put this to an end. Like, I'm open arms, receptive, like, working with everyone. I've gotten, like, an outpouring of support where we haven't had a lot of that in the past, like, from the community and whatnot. We do have some long-time supporters, like people with really big hearts and people who have always been there for us, but, like, not the kind of small-town community support that, like, you know, you see searching for missing children with, like, hundreds of people showing up. Like, we just don't have that. Yeah. So it's, like, it's time to get that. It's time. Yes. It's time, and, and I think that we will. I really do. I feel like you know, it's time for answers. And I feel like enough time has passed where people will open up on, you know, small details that they know or may have been told or heard. I feel good about the relationship that I've made with the detectives on our case, both TBI and Robertson County. Um, They are working some new leads, which is great because we've gone years with nothing. Um, You know, so I feel like that should be said. And I feel like... As much as I, I never want to make people look in any other direction than the place they were last seen. That is the only logical thing to do is to look mm-hmm. right where they were last seen and the last person that saw them. That is, Absolutely. you know, almost 99 point all the nines after that, you know, of the time that is what happened to them. Okay. But there is a chance that whatever he said could possibly be in some way true. Um, You know, we are not so naive and so dumb to outrule anything, even though we feel very strongly about, you know, how they've treated the case, how they have interfered even with searches, um, you know, just been very uh, tumultuous and, you know, just, how they've acted towards us and our search efforts. Yes. Um, you know, that is what kind of makes us feel like this is the right place. But we also consider other things. Um, there, you know, there are past boyfriends. There's her dad. There's um, our family. You know, there's our family. I I have never been questioned um, by oh. law enforcement. Neither has my sister, my other sister, Um, you know, so they're, I mean, surely, I mean, I guess they would think we would come forward, but I'm just trying to make the point that even though our main focus is right where she was last seen, like, 
I have been told since I've been looking into their case that the moment that you take your eyes off of and focus on one thing only is the moment that you miss something very important. So I just want everyone to know that we're looking everywhere. Yes. There is no person, no one that should not be talked to, should not be ask questions about that time if they were related in any sort of way or associated with the Benton family with Jennifer or anyone she knows there's no one eliminated from that including myself yes and you want everyone talked to everyone I want the most thorough job that could possibly be done and I don't want anyone to get so narrow-minded that we can't see other things that are out there. So I don't want anyone to think that we're, you know, just putting all our eggs in one basket or even treating them poorly. And it would be so sad if it wasn't the truth. And that's just not the case. We're just looking there because it's the most logical thing to do. This case is unfair and it's been unjust because answers have been hard to come by. The events surrounding Jennifer and Adriana's last few months, and especially their last week, paint a pretty clear picture in my mind of what happened, which makes it infuriating that we just aren't quite there in getting justice for these two beautiful girls who deserved much better than they were given. Hopefully one day, someone's conscience will get the best of them. Jennifer and Adriana's family. They just want answers at this point. I am heartbroken in this case and for the desperation they must feel. And as for my personal feelings, I'll come back to my intro into today's episode. To quote Taylor Swift, I think he did it, but I just can't prove it. 